most people who start a credit repair company, they're the first client. I'm starting a company because like I need help myself. Then I help my friends and my family. What do you know? Next thing I know, I'm doing credit repair and we're charging money for it, right? And then it becomes this wild, wild ride. Are you ready to revolutionize your credit repair business? Welcome to Credit Repair Junkies, the ultimate podcast for credit repair entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Bruce Palatano, seven-figure serial entrepreneur and author. Each week, we'll dive deep into battle-tested strategies, uncover the latest industry breakthroughs, and reveal insider tips that will put your business light years ahead of the competition. If you're ready to grow your credit repair business, head to creditrepairjunkies.com forward slash go to watch my free training. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Credit Repair Junkies podcast. Today, Dylan Shively from the James Warren Group is with me. Dylan has been in the industry for a while, and I've learned a lot from this guy, and I'm sure that you guys are also going to learn a lot from this episode as well. Dylan, thank you so much, brother, for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Let's get started, man. Tell me, what, how long have you been in credit repair? How long have you been in this credit repair space? So I have two answers to that technically like from the very getting started we're creeping up on seven years now the official start time i give myself was from may of 2020 so right now i really count a little over three years it's almost three and a half years why is it what's the difference between the seven years and the three years so the main difference is the seven years ago which we'll kind of go into even the why i got started i became my own client and i had some friends that were doing it here and there i went and i asked them for some help and they were like, yeah, we can even show you how to do it. Do you want to pay for a class to learn how to do it? I did it because I needed my own help. And as I'm going through it, I did it for myself. Then I did it for my mom, for my dad, for a couple people, but not a business. I just did it to help the people I knew. Then I'd research and research and do all the normal things. But then it was May of 2020 when this is where I say my real start time was because I quit my job. I sold my other business. This was my all-in date. And that's where like, I started investing in software, figuring out what I'm going to do. So like, my education of it and knowing how to do it and messing with it is a seven-year time frame. But actually starting the business and building the business is just over. That's funny. You know, I, we get on these episodes a lot and the people who, who are hearing us, they might find a, a, a similarity here where most people who start a credit repair company they're the first client. <laughs> I'm starting a company because like I need help myself. Then I help my friends and my family. What do you know? Next thing I know, I'm doing credit and we're charging money for it, right? And then it becomes this wild, wild ride. What were you doing before credit repair? I was a district manager for Verizon and I used to live in Pennsylvania before San Antonio. So I was running all of their Pennsylvania stores and then I got into the managing partner aspect of it. So this is where they started offering me deals to buy in for equity and to, then to scale like the slower stores. So I was doing that. And then prior to that, I was in car sales for most of the time um, as, as far as careers. Those were like the two adult things that I did. Uh, so Verizon was like my first big boy business once I had to sell one of my cars to get the buy in, to figure it out. And that transition from car sales to Verizon was actually the reason that my credit went bad. Because I figured out, like, in my mind, I always knew, like, we were talking before this, like, delayed gratification, right? Like, hey, I'm not getting anything from this now, but I know in the future something's going to happen. Well, I was tired of car sales. Anybody who's ever been in car sales knows 
Like you work like 28 hours a day, nine days a week. Like that is it. And uh, so you get no days off, holidays you're working, weekends you're working, and my drive is over an hour every day. So that starts to burn you out a little bit. Now, when I transitioned to Verizon, I went from making, it, it was like a low six figure, uh, it was about like 120, 130,000 a year selling cars to my starting salary at Verizon was 27,800. That's wild. <laughs> you hate it's only that much. <laughs> so like, here's the thing. I had a little bit of a cushion and I'm like, I got this. I also always owned multiple cars. So I'm like, if I needed to do something, I'd sell a car and I can, you know, pay for things. So very quickly, I did scale up into Verizon, but at my best, I want to say the salary, like before, like any of the commissions and the bonuses and stuff like that, like just the base salary, I was creeping up into like the upper fifties, lower sixties. And that was like at peak, you know, that's still less than half of what I was doing selling cars. But the trade-off was this store was only six minutes away from my house. So I'm like, hey, hour to hour and a half, especially when it snows, it's even, you know, more than that to it takes longer in the winter time for my car to warm up and to defrost the windows than it does to get to the store. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And then no more outside doing things. It's all inside. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's phones, it's technology, the heat's on, the, the yeah. heat turns on when it's hot. Like I'm inside, I'm good. Your quality of life changed when you switched the job. Yeah. And so did my pay. <laughs> so that that's that's where it all happened, man. And the the crappy part was the expenses that I had because of the lifestyle that I built up while selling cars, I couldn't maintain it, but I tried. Yeah. So your credit got jacked up. Yeah. So that's where cards got maxed out and closed. One of my cars got repoed. I had a downsize in the apartment that I was in that I didn't even really need to begin with, but like it was nice and I can afford it because my mentality was different. You know, like in car business, I'm like, well, if this new used car that just came on the lot, if I sell this one, knowing they're putting this amount of spiff money and this bonus and whatever, if I sell that, I could go buy this thing. In retail sales, it's not like that. And so that was a huge transition that caused me to have really shitty credit. And um, I hired Leaf to, to do stuff for me. And I didn't know the difference of credit repair versus like debt consolidation. But the dude on the phone was really good. And he's like, look, he's like, you're, you're regardless. But <laughs> if you do this, you're going to get out of it. And I'm like, sold, dude, what do I do? Knowing that that just jacked up your credit even more. Yeah. It was like, hey, you know, you know, those things you've been trying to like still pay on time. We're going to need you to stop doing that. And I'm like, OK. And then like there was times where I would make some money and I'm like, hey, I, I got extra money. I can put in the escrow account instead of this twenty six dollars a month. There's only one hundred dollars left. Can we just clear it? And they're like, no, because you claimed hardship. And I'm like, I did what? You know, so like there's just a lot I didn't know. So that. Super frustrated me. You're selling cars, making bank, but life was horrible because you're driving hour and hour and a half each way and being outside in the cold in, in Philadelphia and all that. So you're like, screw this. Let me get into this Verizon deal. Your pay got cut by pretty much more than half. Credit got jacked up. Didn't know what you didn't know. So where does you start to fix your credit come in? How did you learn to do credit repair? So this is- How did you learn to do credit repair? Not 
run a credit repair business because we know those are completely different things, right? Completely, 100%. How did you learn credit repair? So I learned it by one, my pettiness and competitiveness of being pissed off at belief. So I was like, well, look, you put me in a worse position, not a better position. And I was trying to get some of the money back. They refused to give me the money back in the escrow account. And I think it was maybe somewhere around like 2,500 bucks was in there. And at that time when you're struggling, like, dude, that's a huge amount of money. I'm like, I could be using this for other things. And they said, no. So I was like, whatever, like you guys don't get back to me anyway. I'm going to figure this out on my own. So I took it to Facebook, you know, as any other angry person would do. And I started bitching, right? And I'm like, you guys would never believe this, blah, blah, blah. But then I realized, you know, okay, cool. The likes, the comments, everyone's like, man, you know, that, that sucks. I'm sorry to hear that, whatever. But what they didn't say and what nobody made me realize until it hit me, okay, you can bitch about it all you want, but you still got the bad credit and it's a you problem. So I had a, a group of friends that we're not friends anymore, different reasons, whatever, but there was people I was hanging out with back in the day, good dudes built very successful businesses. And one of the things they were doing was helping people with fixing their credit. So I went to them and I was like, hey, how does this work? And so here I am trying to figure out everything on Verizon, trying to pay my bills, going through the freedom debt relief. They just pissed me off. I'm still in a bad position. What do I do? And so they're like, hey, well, we're actually teaching people how to understand to fix credit. And I think it was like 300 bucks or something like that. They're like, if you want to join this Zoom, um, we're doing it. I think it was like a couple of days after that. And they were like, oh, you could join the Zoom and, and you'll learn because we're teaching people how to do it. And you know, you may not want to do it as a business or anything, but it'll help you because we're going to teach the dispute process and stuff like that. So I took that and I, I did learn a handful of things, regardless of whatever differences there are now, I'll never deny that I did learn some things. It was definitely the start of like peaking the interest. So I took what I learned and I started working on my own and I'm like, oh, this is kind of working. What were the kind of things that you learned that got, got you started? Well, now I'm embarrassed to say it because I didn't know at the time. Yeah, but it worked, right? <laughs> what they were teaching was online disputing, mm -hmm. right? So, and again, obviously we'll get into that later, but anybody who's been in the game knows, wait a minute, they did what? So pretty much what it was is they had, and it was funny because I found this book, like as I started going massive research mode. I found this book. And I've realized the, the framework, pretty much the verbiage of what they were telling everybody to copy and paste onto these online disputes were from this book. So what they did is they would teach you how to create an account with TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax. And then you'd go in, you select all the things that were negative, you copy and paste, you know, this, and then you'd submit and you'd wait. So what I realized, like <clears throat> there were things that they were, I disputed and they were removed. And some things is crazy, like seven days later, 12 days later. And I'm like, I'm like, holy shit. Like, I just started out, you know? <laughs> but then I didn't realize the other things, you know, that I know now. Like, when you agree to terms and conditions, you're saying that you waive the right to sue and to go to small claims court and to redispute after so many days. And like, you're very limited, you know? So some things worked. I saw progress. And then I'm like, updating the people on Facebook where I'm like, Hey, remember when I was bitching about this, this is how I figured out how to do it. Yeah. And, uh, so that's how I started learning credit repair initially. But then 
you know, I started going to like my FICO and I would go to all the articles. I would start watching <clears throat> YouTube videos and stuff like that. And I really got interested in it because as the guy with good credit that can buy cars whenever he wanted, that lived wherever he wanted, that never got denied for anything, to go to losing a bunch of my shit saying, look at this money that I'm still making and have in the bank and people still telling me no, I'm like, whoa, I am now forced to have a lifestyle change, whether I want it to happen or not. And the money isn't as powerful as what I thought it was. When you compare it to credit, right? Like money with bad credit or no money with good credit. It's like, oh man, which one do I choose, right? <laughs> yeah, because I, I can I can take my credit and go leverage it for something to go make money to go figure out how to pay it back. But if I don't have money in the bank and nobody else will let me use their money, what am I going to do? Your SOL. <laughs> man, so you figured it out. You cracked the code. You started doing research, um, fix your own credit. And then you're like, hey, mom, let me do this for you. Hey, pops. Hey, yep. buddy. Right. You started doing that for your buddies. And then 2020 comes around and you get to this point where you're, you have to decide that you're going to go all in on your credit repair business. What happened? What shifted? What changed? Like, well, what happened that made you say, you know what? I want to do this credit repair stuff full time. And what was your credit repair, I guess, business like at that point? Yeah. So at that time when, you know, because now when you're posting those things, man, dude, I'm getting DMs of people that like I haven't spoke to in years that I didn't even know we were still friends on Facebook. And they're like, hey, I saw how you did this thing. This actually just happened to my husband. This happened to my wife. This happened to me. This happened to my mom. This happened to my dad. You know, what information can you share with me so I can help them? So I started realizing, damn, a lot of people need help with this. And it's funny how the time frame works. Because at this time, we were in the we were in the first quarter, well, just coming out of like the first quarter of of the year. And in retail, for anybody who's ever been in retail, you know that is your slowest time. And in 2020, <laughs> what else happened? Yeah. <laughs> So like nobody's coming to the store to buy phones. Nobody wants to upgrade their iPad. Nobody wants to do those things. But guess what? When you have ownership and you share profits, you also share losses. So like you still got to pay people's hourly rate. You still got to have um, devices and accessories and things on consignment. You still pay per diem on things. You still have investment even if money isn't coming in. So I'm like, all right, what do I do? So I started looking up as a business, how does this work? Like, how do people charge? How do they get paid? And like, I was that dude. I didn't know any different. I'm like, yeah, this is my cash app. This is my Venmo. This is my, you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know about merchant processors for credit repair. Like, I just did it to do my own thing. So uh, as I would get more DMs and more people reaching out, well, then after some months would go by, I'd get screenshots from people that would be like, Dylan, I've never seen my score here before. You know, wow, this went up. Hey, I just bought this car. Hey, I finally got the credit card I needed. Hey, my bank gave me that personal loan. So now I'm not getting, you know, evicted from the house. You know, I can pay my rent. And I'm like, wait a minute. So because I gave you this and you did this, and I really started to understand what fulfillment meant. And I no longer felt good about when somebody would come in and it was Verizon, dude. So people are not coming in to be all happy about how little they pay. They were always complaining about how much it's been. So when they're coming in and I'm already trained to say, 
well, hey, what if I can, I could possibly lower your bill, but I saw your 12 year old daughter was looking at that new iPhone 10 and you know, we got a deal on them right now. Let me go see what that would do. Can you afford 23 bucks a month? And they're like, no, I'm like, cool. Let me show you how you're going to do it anyway. You know, like it was completely different. I started to realize like, I don't like this this much. And so there was the one thing, the one thing is the one client I will never forget that made me do the actual switch. So because I would think about it with these people and I'm like, this is cool. This one guy, long story short, got divorced. It was his fault. So he left the house and everything to the wife and kids. He works construction. I think he still does now. He works construction. He makes great money. They had one older son. He was off to college. Dad co-signed for the apartment and stuff like that. Put it in his name, whatever. Well, he never paid attention to his credit until the divorce when he needed to go move. So he had a 2014 Silverado and he was in construction. And the only other thing he would pay for is his LA Fitness gym membership. Not because he was going to the gym, but when he would get paid, he would go to like a motel or a hotel, whatever's closest. He'd ride the days out and then spend the last few remaining days of that pay period in his truck. And then he would go to LA Fitness. That's where he would shower. He would go wash his clothes in the sink and shit. He would go in the pool. He would do whatever just to keep himself clean and go back to work the next day. Well, he had money saved up and he was going to get an apartment. And the apartment, even though he was going to pay the entire year in full, he was like, look, I can give it to you. They said no. And he's like, why? What's wrong? I have a home. I have this. I have the truck. I have like, what do you mean? Well, when their son came home, he never told him that he wasn't making the payment. So it wasn't dad's responsibility to pay. This is how he found out that he had the eviction on for his son didn't pay the apartment that he was co-signing him for. Oh. Crap. So because now this apartment complex is pulling up his his credit report and seeing, yo, you defaulted on an, on another apartment. And he was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, wait, that's where my son is. Even though he had all the money, they wouldn't let him go in. So he got introduced to us by the actual um, apartment locator. And was like, hey, there's some realtors. They, you know, they've been speaking with you guys and, and you came highly recommended. I have somebody for you. Got introduced to him. It was about five months later that made him like qualifiable to go ahead and do it. Um, so, dude, he come into a lot of money, then he'd lose it all. A lot of money and lose it all. And he just needed somewhere to go. So when this dude sent me the picture, like inside the, I still have it, where he sent me the picture inside the apartment and his hand, he's holding the keys, right? He's holding like the lease agreement, the copies he signed. And it wasn't like this, hey, thanks so much. It was a man to another man that most men don't show their emotion. That is like, dude, I get to lay my head on a pillow that is going to be the same pillow, not a motel, a hotel, or my truck. I get to shower in an actual shower. I'm not looking at all these other dudes in the thing and being embarrassed, bringing in my clothes and rinsing them in the sink. Like it wasn't like the apartment was the thing. Yes. But it was the way he described what changed for him just for that. And dude, it wasn't even, I think like 30, 35 days later, I sold back my equity to the store and I went full-time with credit. Like that was the dude that made it happen. So it was the gratification of being able to be part of really upgrading somebody's life. Like having your hand in it. 
I know we say like, oh, change lives, change lives, but I don't think enough people really understand what that really means. Yeah. That was the moment. Some people, they want better credit selfishly just because whatever, selfish reasons, right? Other people, they don't want it. They need better credit. And the ones that need better credit are the ones that really experience life change, you know? And I'll tell you, man, it's, it's gratifying when you know that you are part of that person's story. You know, for me, it wasn't, you know, I didn't have a, a Verizon store, but I was working for a company that was scamming people. <laughs> I, uh, the moment I found out, I quit the next day. You know, I got, you, you mean I'm going to go to work to, to train people and hire people and train people to go scam people? No thanks, Right. Without, like, I didn't have money to bang nothing. I was like, no thanks. I want to do something else and never look back. And I think that you will never look back. No matter what happens in your life moving forward, I feel like credit repair will always be a part of something that you do. Even if at some point it doesn't, it's not 90% of what you do, it will always be at least 10, 15% of what you do because of that, that gratification that you feel as a human being to be able to do that to people, right? To help others. Dude, it'll never go away. It'll never, ever, ever go away. Actually, it's funny. My wife and I were talking about this uh, three, four days ago. We do like walks around the community and stuff like that. And so we were walking around and I realized, you know, like after our event, like the social media boot camp and stuff like that, I've noticed like weeks leading up to that. And even after that event, you know, we got a lot of DMs and a lot of stuff. Oh my God, that's amazing. I, I gave a different talk than I usually do. And, you know, I really let people in. And so they saw a different side of me. And so the people that knew me, they were messaging me. So they would say things like, Dylan, you're amazing. And, you know, the fact you do credit is cool, but I think you're made for something much bigger than credit. And so I know they meant it as a compliment. So I didn't snap back because that's still a great thing for somebody to say. Some people think that be like doing credit repair or owning a credit repair business is slimy or it's like, yeah, like, like bottom of the barrel, right? Like under the bridge troll kind of business to own. Right. Right. And, and that's exactly where I was going. Like they meant to compliment me. You know, I was like, I think that you are meant for greater than what you're doing. And I'm like, cool. But then I actually took offense to it and was like, I don't think you understand what I really do. Getting the people approved for the home is cool. But when's the last time you actually asked that person what the house meant to them and why it was important? Because we have stories for days. Like Fiano had a lady message her uh, about a year and a half ago where she was a victim, very bad victim of domestic violence. Like this dude beat the dog out of her daily and they have kids. And so she reached out to her. We got everything going and we got her hooked up with a new build. Uh, so brand new home, right? Never lived in before for her and her two kids. And she, ha she has two younger kids. And she sent Fiano the picture is about three months later. Uh, because they wound up getting like an inventory home that was already built. And she's standing there, you know, with the sign, whatever, but she, you know, puts like a, uh, like a purple heart or whatever across her face. So you don't see her face, you know, because she moved, but she's standing there with her and her kids. And she didn't say thank you for the home. She, Deanna, like, thank you for giving me somewhere safe to live to where my kids don't have to see these things happen anymore and wonder what happens to mom and dad. Now I can sleep without worrying about getting woken up in my sleep and getting choked out and whatever, coming home to a drunk man and this and like, dude, so it's that. Yeah. yeah. So when people say, you know, like, 
hey, I, you're so great and I think you're made for things bigger than that. It has shifted me probably in the last few months where my messaging to people on like social media and stuff is completely different. Like I need them to know what we do is not just dispute some and write some letters and give you some tips. That is not what we do. That three-digit number means a lot more than what you think, right? That three-digit number isn't just a credit score. That three-digit number is your way out of an abusive relationship. That three-digit number is your way out of homelessness, right? That three-digit number is an upgrade in your lifestyle. And the sad reality is that in the country that we live in today, we don't care. We don't give a crap about that three-digit number until we can't do something, have something, be something because of that three-digit number. And then you have credit repair companies like me and you and all these other people who, for a living, work on helping you with that three-digit number, but we're looked at negatively. We looked at as a scam. We looked at as like this, ooh, credit repair? Really? Like, you you can do so much better, right? But they don't realize the outcome, what's on the other side of the benefit of our services. You know, like, we're not selling a television for you to put in your, in your living room. Right. It's wild that we have to we live in it and like we we are in an industry. We make a living in an industry that is so frowned upon only because there's no education. around it. You know, if people really knew what the industry is about, if people really knew how much what we do really matters. I think we we would shift that perspective of, oh, really? You do credit repair? Man, that's awesome. Like almost like superheroes. I right? like you, you, you look at it as like superheroes. Like you do that. Like, you change people's lives for real, man. Thank you. Like. Thank you for your service, right? Yeah, but it's wild, man. It's wild that, that that we have to deal with that, but we still do because we know at the end of the day what we're really doing for people, you know? So 2020, May, I'm going to start a credit repair business. Your new business, you've owned a Verizon store, right? But how different is like this kind of online business credit repair versus like a brick and mortar space? How did you kind of like, ground yourself and learn to start and run a credit repair business as a business. Not, oh, here's my cash app and here's my bill. Like, how did you structure your business? How did you learn to structure a, a, a scalable business? So this is where like the very first time I literally put in Google how to run a credit repair business. And you want to take a wild guess at who showed up? No idea. Tell me. <laughs> Daniel Rosen. <laughs> so like credit repair cloud comes up and they're like crm this this and i'm like well i guess having a crm would be worth investing in uh because i need to organize my business as i get more clients and so i used to oh, i don't have one here but you get the idea uh i used to have a notebook that i would write everything in clients when i spoke to them how much they paid hoping what their expectations were and then, you know, in the beginning, like a mob boss, like a mob boss, like, yeah, <laughs> you're, like, you're like a mob boss. <laughs> yeah. So like I'm writing down and then I got to go back like five, six pages like, oh, yeah, this person gave me 75, not the whole 250 and blah, blah, blah. So now I got to go, you know, yeah. got to go so, break some knees. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I read it initially. But when I came across the ads, I'm one of those people that it's a, it was initially tougher for me to like pull the trigger on something. Because at the time I'm looking at, I think it was like 179 or something like that, like 179 a month, but give me like 30 days free. And so my first thing was, all right, if I could get the first 30 days free, 
I'll try to make as much money as I can. So then that way, as the 179 starts to come out, I already have the money good to go. Because at that time, I was charging people 250, like 250 total. That's it. Just 250 and I'll fix your credit. Once yeah. Because I didn't know what credit monitoring was. We were yeah. creating online accounts, yeah. you know, and, and doing online disputes. Yeah. Right. And then, so then learning what the portal is and how that works. And then they're like, oh yeah, payment processing and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, for what? I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want people to take money out of my money. Like, why wouldn't I just use Cash App and Venmo when I get the money right away? It's all there. There's no interest or anything taken out. There's no processing fees. Like, that's dumb. Right. And then I kept going and kept going. And what a dumb idea to be yeah. the card. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I had no idea what compliance was and that there was even rules and laws and uh, regulations and things. I had no idea. So then my wife at the, uh, Sofiano, my wife at the time was working at the bank. She was in banking for 12 years. She recently gets promoted as a branch manager. And so I'm like, well, babe, you love me, right? And she's like, yeah, I'm like, cool. I know you got people coming in for loans and credit cards that get denied. Let me get that. And then she was like, well, I really can't because like they have like a nonprofit that like, you know, does it for free or whatever for people. And I'm like, buff that, like send it to me anyway. Like you love me, not them. So it took a little while. And then there was a customer here and there, you know, that she was send over. We'd go, we'd help them. And we had this one client that dude, she was probably still to this day, my toughest client. Uh, she didn't even live in the state, but uh, she would come and visit. So that was the bank that her family always used. She was trying to get a loan. She has this business. She makes decent money, but she got really pissed off. And I even offered her to like refund her. And she was pissed. She like, she called the cop. She thought I was going to get arrested. Like it was this whole thing. Like I literally had a local cop call me. Is this Dylan Shively? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, is this in regards to this lady? He's like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, here's what happened. Blah, blah, blah. You know? And, and it was really like, she wanted these guaranteed results. Yeah. And I was like, look, I'm good at what I do, but I'm not the one who makes the decision. Yeah. Like, I'm just submitting it for you, but I'm going to try my best. And yeah. she's like, but if you don't get the result, I should get the money back because why am mm-hmm. I paying you? Right. And and I didn't understand how to explain that at that time. You know, that it was like, you're paying for the service to be performed. You're not paying for the outcome. One of those, like, I wish I knew then what I knew now type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So- I'm in CRC and I'm like, all right, well, they have an agreement. That makes me more legit than just saying, hey, you're ready to go in a text. You know, like it was like the next steps into things. So I started using the CRM and then they had the classes. Now I didn't like, I didn't pay for like any of the, the it was like a master class or something like that. Um, I didn't pay for any of that stuff, but then I just started stalking inside the Facebook group. Like what are people talking about? What's a concern? What matters? And then again, bouncing from there to like my FICO to like learn how the algorithm works, learn the five factors, and then how do I explain it better? How do I make it to where I understand? What content do I create around it? That's how I did it. So then you took that that May 2020 went in. Uh, that's when I signed up. That's when you signed up for the software. For yeah. yeah. And then you had to have some sort of strategy now because you're doing this full time, right? So talk about what you're full new full-time job was like so you know like i you know i don't even have to leave the house anymore right yeah, he, and i didn't so what were you doing how did you start taking your business and slowly build one layer at a time on top of it what was your full-time job description now like 
So now I'm wearing hats that I didn't even know existed, right? So I'm marketing, I'm lead gen, you know, I'm the dispute processor, I'm the customer service rep, I am literally everybody. So, so I quit, I sell it back to Verizon, I get a little bit of cushion, and I say, okay, with that cushion, I'll buy CRC, whatever. So all I did was I lived on Facebook. And if you were to ask my wife, she would tell you it would be about 14 to 15 hours per day. There was this big lazy boy chair that we had next to our bed. And uh, I would stay in that lazy boy chair 14, 15 hours a day. And so my mother-in-law, her mom always lived with us when we were in PA and even now in San Antonio. And she would like call me on her lunch break and stuff. And she'd be like, babe, my mom wanted to know, like, is everything okay? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, the lazy boy says it's been like eight hours. She didn't even hear a footstep. She didn't hear like, you didn't come down to eat. You didn't like do nothing. And I'm like, oh, I know. I, just, I found this video and I'm trying to learn how to do this thing. And, you know, like, you know, it's the exciting parts of discovering something new. So whether it's how to talk about something, a new video that came across or something just clicked. And then I'm like, man, I could do this for this person. And then it was Facebook post, Facebook post, Facebook post. And I would get traction for it because people remembered from when I got burned. So then the DMs, I'd go back into all the DMs and reply to people. But then I never knew anything about like scheduling and being organized. So I was always, when somebody would respond to me, it didn't matter what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I dropped everything and replied right back because from car sales background, yeah. retail sales, it's hot. <laughs> exactly. So like they're interested now, so am I. What are we doing? Yeah. You know, I'd explain to them how it works. A couple of things I would fumble here and there. But then when I would get, so like my whole idea was how can I not pay for more business? And so I went back to all of the people that said anything positive about the results they got. And then I said, hey, do you know anybody, a brother, a sister, a cousin, somebody, do you know somebody who can, you know, use my services and get help. And because they've already saw progress with me, almost all of them said yes. So, so after the referrals. Right. Yeah. And you see, what's interesting, like, let's like one second, right? So talking about your early days, let's just jump forward real quick to where you are right now. So we can then paint the bridge between those early days that we've been talking about. So let's real quick, James Warrior Group right now. How many clients? Total, we've helped just over 11,000. Uh, active, couple thousand, something like that. I mean, you process a couple thousand. thousand active clients, right? To from, hey, do you know anybody who needs my services to actually working on a few thousand files actively every single month? This is where you've been. Like, this was May 2020. We're in November of 2023. So, you know, three and a half years or so, that's, that's growth. That's real growth. Right. Like it's it's multiple six figures every month. Right. So think about that, like where you started to where you are now. And let's talk about what were the the key levers that you pulled in your business that took you from those early stages to the next stage, to the next stage, to the stage that you are now. What were those key levers? So I understood that I can only talk to so many people per day. So my next move was I got to find people who would want to make some money and would work for me. So the good thing is I already had the uh, S-Corp already set up because I had to have that for Verizon. 
right? So like I already had the legal business set up, uh, had a business checking account because I'm trying to go legit, right? I set up merchant processing. And so I figured, well, if I can set up all the business stuff and I could teach two or three people that I know who would want to make money to, to help me with this, then we can do it. One of those key levers was talking. And so I hired five people. And it's funny because one of the five are still with me. And he actually runs a huge chunk. Is Josh runs a huge chunk of the stuff with me. So my first thing was hiring people because I realized, all right, I can only create so many accounts, be on the phone with so many people, respond to so many people, and do customer service at the same time. So it was about duplicating yourself. That was the yes. first level. Yep. So then I said, well, what part do I like to do the most? Which part do I enjoy? Yeah. And then which one do I hate? Right? That's good. I hate setting up the accounts. There's got to be another way. And as I'm continuing to read in the Facebook group, this is where outsourcing came up. And then this is when you came up. And this is how I came across you because your name was all over the CRC Facebook group back when that was acceptable before we all get kicked out of it. But you were there and I was like, wait a minute. So I can pay somebody and I don't have to do this anymore. But they're going to do the thing that I don't like to do. They're going to use this system where I'm not using it as much. They're going to put the updates in. They're going to you know, have automations that trigger out. Like I was learning automations too. Um, I'm like, so they're going to do all this so I don't have to do it. All right, I'm doing that. And then the second part that takes the most time is customer service. I love talking with people even when they're angry, but that is not scalable. I was looking to be scalable because now I have five people who put their trust in me that I have to give paychecks to. So it immediately stopped becoming about me. And I was like, all right, got disputing handled. And you know, so the process is going to be better. I don't have to worry about doing it myself. And then I'm going to train these guys how to talk to people when they're pissed off. Like I'm used to pissed off people. I was in Verizon. Like everything <laughs> plus. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so like I can navigate those conversations easily. So then I would sit down to Google Docs. And I still have the original Google Docs. I would sit there and like, all right, I just got to type out my thoughts because then they can read it and they can review it. And then I started figuring out how to do scripts. And like, when someone says this, this is how you reply. If they're pissed about this, this is how you do. So I didn't know at that time I'm creating like these like SOPs, I'm creating these processes. And so I was, you know, delegating and duplicating myself. And then I was creating processes. And when it started to work where I'm like, wait, I'm taking less calls. We're still making money. Holy shit. I got a Google review. I didn't even know I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and like, so these things started happening and it clicked. And so I'm like a shark, dude. Like when I see that, when I see something works, like I get that little bit of blood, I'm going. So it's back to the chair. I'm sitting on my laptop like, all right, do I hire more people? Well, no, I got to get more people because if I get more people then I can hire more people because I need a way to make money and then I need a way to keep the money, right? So to avoid refunds and people being upset. Um, so I remember the first standard automation that was in the system. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever that after dispute, uh, disputes were processed, yeah. I would give them that email. It's like, here's what all we did for you. Yeah. You loved it. Yeah. Right? But then it was always the customer. So here's another thing. If you're still listening, anybody here, it's all about the customer. You will learn how to grow your business from two people and you are neither of them. So you will learn how to grow your business the right way, what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong if you listen to your clients. And if you have any staff, you listen to your staff. Because if they're the ones in the weeds doing it, 
I will say all day long while I came up with ideas and I started it and I do things and I work on the business instead of in the business. As I was working in the business, I understood employing people gave me more time and then I can just go back to them with feedback or they come back to me with feedback and they are the reason that I grew my business. It is not solely me. Like I got it going. I built the foundation. I built the momentum, but they took it because we actually listen to our clients and we listen to our staff on, hey, I know this works, but why don't we try this? Or a customer will say, you know, your time to get back to me sucks. Why is it so hard to get a hold of you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? So just working through those things. And that's where I laser focused on. So I would say that is the biggest lever of just understanding where to listen to your business. I love that. You said you'll grow your business, not because of you, but because of your clients and your staff. I never thought of it that way, but you're 1000% correct. Because then you take that feedback and you go and you implement it into your marketing, into your, into how to grow your business. And then you just, you're talking to them and you're answering questions that, that, you know, like, how do they know I was going to answer? I, I have that question. You answer them before they even know they have that question, right? Right. And how good does that feel? Because you know what that does to the person's conscious when they're talking to you, when you can answer a question and they're like, wait a minute, how did he even know? That makes you the expert. That means you've done this before. They immediately trust you more. But that only happens once you listen to the feedback of what people are saying. Because I can tell you this, I remember I would read in some, in again, that Facebook group, I was up in there. I would never post, but I was like, you know, paying attention. I was one of those lurking and like, so I'm like checking things out and do this, this that would piss me off is when people would start to say like, oh, you know, uh, the client isn't always right. You know, it's my business and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you're an idiot. You're not going to last long. I'm telling you right now, because without customers and without employees, you don't have a business. Even as a one-man operation, so to get really specific, uh, when I was going to hire those first five, we were at almost 300 clients. So even at almost that 300 clients, until you start employing people and getting past that, you have a hobby. You don't have a business. You have a hobby. And when you put the business owner hat on, it is not, I am the CEO of whatever. Like, no, you are the employee of everyone you hire. You now serve every client who comes to you and every person who you employ. It is not the other way around. And if you write your business that way, you're going to be a solo canoeer for a very long time. That, that's a gold nugget right there. Yeah, you work for your clients and your employees. Yeah, not the other way around. If you're in the, you, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you know that mindset has taken you really far, man. You think about you know what you do to grow your business, and it's all relationship based, right? So how do you grow your business from nothing to thousands of active clients? Like, what is your strategy to, to grow your business as far as marketing is concerned? I've never gotten away from the basics. How many times does somebody like anybody, and I've been there, so I can say this from experience. You know, I'm not saying I've never done it. I'm saying from experience, guys. How many times do like things go good, right? And you're like, oh, there's more money than I thought oh, everyone's happy this month. Nobody's pissed off. Oh, all these things are going good. And then what do people do? They get away from the things that got them there. So here's the thing about like the downward of the roller coaster. If you f up today and even tomorrow, you don't see that right away. 
that comes to you 90 to 120 days from now, right? And if you do something good, you're not going to see that right away. That's about six months from now. So you can slack off a day or two or three or four and you're like, well, my business is still going good. But then when that three or four month mark hits and you wonder why it's going bad, it's because the things you did three or four months prior. So instead of, man, I got to get back to the basics because everybody knows they got to get back to the basics. Why do we ever get away from them? So I just take the basic fundamentals, which are in case if this is the first time every, anyone's ever explained this to you, for our industry, the basic fundamentals are you get clients by doing the right thing. You tell them all the information they need to know. You don't gatekeep anything. You don't mislead them. You don't mistreat them. You don't lead them on to think something's going to happen. That's not. And then when you get the client, you have to keep the client. You keep the client by keeping your promises, following up when you said you were going to, answering all of their questions. Don't treat them different than when you did to get the sale. And then give them everything they need plus more. That's what you signed up for. So if you can just stay within the basics of, I'm always answering what I can, I whether it's giving a calendar link, whether it's whatever, I'm always doing it when I say I'm going to do it. Do the things you say you're going to do. Don't overpromise people things that you're not in control of. Tell them the truth. And if you never get away from those basics, you will build the momentum because people will start to trust you and then when the result comes that you told them would come and they start seeing the progress you told them because you didn't say, oh, 100 points by tomorrow and all the other dumb shit that these marketing people do. When you tell people the truth and you stick to the basics, you're good. And that's why um, the industry has a bad, a bad rap, right? It's because you have those clowns out there who are promising, yeah, we get the repo off in, you know, 30 days. You're 150 points on your credit score in, 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 in two weeks. We got you. No problem. Right. And then sometimes they do it. Sometimes they don't. 99% of the times they don't. And now that's why credit repair is a scam. And that's why people look at us like credit repair. Right. And what you said about the basics, never leave the basics. You've grown your business to this huge thing because you never abandon the basics. And that requires discipline. Like it is so easy for me to experience growth in my business and then starting start to abandon the basics and try to start new things. Well, let me try this now. Well, let me try that now. When that basic is what got me here in the first place. So why abandon it, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Keep doing it until it stops working. And guess what? That's the beautiful part about the basics. It will always work. Try new things, but don't give up the basics in sake of the new things. I like to say it like this. When you feel like you're in a place that you're stuck, like, man, I can't get past this client count. I can't get past this. I can't get past this. You don't change what you're doing. You change the intensity at what you do it. Like, so for example, a, a, another way to answer the question was how I grew it was through affiliates. Mm -hmm. Right. So realtors, lenders sending us business. Right. Yeah. And how'd I do that? Well, because once I spoke to the first one and I told them the truth and I told them how it would work and how our process is. And the first one who gave us a shot, everything happened in which we said would happen. Right. As far as communication and things like that. Because you under promised and over delivered. Right. So like, let me give you guys a pure example. When somebody comes to you and they say, 
oh, so I got this client during this crazy situation. And like, I know it doesn't happen fast, but this one, I need it to happen fast. It's like, wait, you know that it doesn't happen. So, so what do you think I'm going to, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> going to wave my magic wand. Yeah. So here's what happens. Mr. And Mrs. Affiliate, what I can uh, promise or guarantee to your client is we will process that first round of letters within 24 hours. And if it's the same day, by this time, if we can get you submitted and done by this time, it might even be done the same day. But within 24 hours, I can promise that's going to happen. But here's the reality. Most people don't graduate our, our credit repair program up until about seven months. It's always within seven months. Now, people are afraid to say that when the client or the affiliate or client says, man, I really need this in two months. I'm trying to buy this car in three weeks. Hey, I might not be the best fit for you. And I know you're going to go around and I encourage you to do it. I'm just going to tell you this. I'm not saying this for you to use me. It's perfectly okay if you want to use somebody else. But if somebody tells you they can do it in the time frame you need it, and it's anything less than 30 days, it takes that much for the investigation process to happen, assuming they send out the letters and the bureaus receive it the same day, which they don't. So this is how the process works. And trust me, if there was a way for me to do it faster, I'd already be doing it. Honesty is the best policy, right? We, we, we hear that saying, but when it comes to our industry, to credit repair, honesty is your best friend. It is the best policy. It's going to save you so many headaches, so many heartaches, so many refunds, so many upset customers, because just be honest. Listen, half of the people who are going to come to you for credit repair have probably already tried it with somebody else and gotten burned. So you are actually a breath of fresh air when you tell them something other than what they've already heard before and got burned, right? They've heard 30 days. They've heard the guarantees. Now they hear you telling them the truth, which is complete opposite. Believe it or not, honesty is the best policy. This is a breath of fresh air for them because now they're actually inclined to trust you because they've heard the opposite before, knew it was a lie. They can only assume that what you're telling them now is the truth. In reality, it really is. And that's it, right? Like people appreciate the honesty. For nothing else, just don't be a scumbag. Be honest so you don't be a scumbag. If 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 you don't care about your business, if you don't care about the people, care about yourself. Like, just don't be a scumbag. Be honest, right? And if you want to be a scumbag, go find another industry to be a scumbag in. Because credit for your need, and like, we're tired of all this scumbag. We have enough of those. We have enough of those. Plenty of them. Some of them are going to jail, but not enough, right? Like we don't need any more scumbags. So just be honest, and people will appreciate. It. And guess what? When you're honest, you're just gonna make more money because then the referrals, right? Think about, like, if I know somebody that needs help with their credit and you were honest with me, I trust now to refer my friends to you. Because you're honest with me, you're going to be honest with them. Now, you promised me the same thing that somebody else already promised me. They didn't deliver on it. I'm not referring anybody to you until you show me that you can deliver me on that same promise. You ain't getting the referrals. Your business isn't going to grow as fast. Honesty is the best policy. And I appreciate that, that you have that in you. Like, it's it's you and your personality, right? Like, I've known you for years now. Like, your personality is like, you're a straight shooter. Like, you don't sugarcoat anything. You're going to tell it like it is. And if you don't like it, pff, too bad. Like, it is what it is. Like, you can't change the fact of truth, right? So I appreciate that that about you. And I think that's why we we work so well together. What do you, what would you say is next for, for, your, for your business, for James Warren Group? I'm really focused on efficiency. So here's something that I've done that a lot of people in our industry, not that I look for them to do, because I don't give a f they agree or not, because um, they don't see it how I see it. I could be paying myself so much more money than what I am, but I employ way more people than necessary. 
So the amount of employees that we have right now, most people would be like, what the... But if you do the math, yes, that means I pay myself less. But you know what happens? When I'm paying these people more, I attract higher quality. So, so here's the thing. When people try to say, here's the cheapest I can get a lead. Here's the cheapest I could get whatever. Well, when you always look for the cheapest, you get the cheapest. Yeah. And then it sucks. And then you ruin your reputation and people don't understand the ripple effect. Yeah. So here's an example of the ripple effect. If you hire somebody for $2 an hour for customer service, you're going to get $2 an hour customer service. And then that maybe 18 extra dollars an hour that you're saving from not paying someone who's here that came from a great place, you know, that is local or whatever, that could be an actual face. Now, when you piss off those clients, you don't just have to refund the client. Now you have to uh, lose out on all the potential money you would have made from all their referrals. That's true. So cost you more in the long run. Right. So now what we're trying to do is we're focused on efficiency without losing the quality of what we do. So increasing the amount of content that we do and how we deliver it through email and text, the amount of times that we're communicating and touching the client throughout the month, making sure that all of our disputing, which I, I was talking to Josh, by the way, and he said like, it's been so, you know, we have like this um, Google Drive where every time there's results for clients for our marketing, like I'll literally show it to you right now for the people yeah. that. So we have it, we have this marketing where every time there's results, uh -huh. see if it focuses there, whatever, you get the idea, where they screenshot. And you can see all these people in 700s and 800s and high 600s and specific things that are deleted. Yeah. So we create this and then this is how I post content, right? Because the results are here. That's what we're working on. How do we hire more people so I can pay more people more money. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's the point. And then how do I still remain efficient? Meaning that as we scale, we can properly support the amount of people that are coming to us. And then how do we make our offers better? Uh, because, And I don't mean by price, by the way, because most people hear price when they hear that. I'm not saying about how we can get cheaper. I'm saying, how can we get more creative with the offers that we have to fit the needs of the people? And then all of my stuff is education-based. I'm doing, I went like, and I still do classes. So I'm not saying I don't do that, but I went from doing constant classes from classes to events, to conferences, to like, you know what I mean? Like social media bootcamp, almost 800 people. You know what I mean? Like the place I'm traveling to in January, watch out for that. Cause I'll be making some content there. I'm getting in, into rooms with some pretty big people because I'm leading with education. I'm giving people all the information. So it's the one thing that people don't have. They can't get anywhere else. You don't get credit education in school. Nope. Right? You don't. Like you're learning woodshop. <laughs> Whoop did you do? Like woodshop helps you buy a house and rent an apartment. And no, it doesn't. Right? Like you you don't learn the stuff they need to be a grown up in school. That's why education is so valuable. And, and nowadays with social media and YouTube and all these online platforms, people are going online more, I see, for education than entertainment nowadays, right? Like people want to be more knowledgeable about things that they care about. So, you know, like when I'm on YouTube, yeah, I may watch, you know, some some car videos here and there or whatever, or, or, or see some watches, things that I enjoy. But 90% of the crap that I consume on YouTube is educational stuff, right? It's like, and I think that people are, 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 are buying into that now more like, I want to be educated. I want to be poured into 
and I don't want to waste my brain space with entertainment. So that's why you, you, your strategy, I, I think your strategy is genius. You, you educate people on the things that they don't know, that they are searching for, and you will grow. You will blow up because of it. That's how it happens. And like, I hope the people listening to this adopt that. It's not about how creative you could get in your marketing. It's about just going out and telling people the truth. And then you got to simplify it. So there there might be a hundred other people teaching the same thing that you're teaching, but guess what? They're not teaching it like you. They ain't teaching it in your teaching style, right? So that's, that's the biggest crap excuse ever. It's like, oh, there's already all these people talking about how to get a collection removed. Yeah, but they ain't talking like you, right? It's like you can give people the same information packaged differently and, and that's valuable because it's packaged differently and you are the package and you are different because you are not like anyone else and any, everybody else ain't like you. So don't use that as an excuse. Like, oh, it's just going to be another one you know, of the hundreds of videos on YouTube talking about late payments. Yeah, but it, you're unique and there might be a few people, a few hundred people, a few thousand people who like your style better than all the other ones. And guess what? Now you're the viral one for this stuff. You know, so don't use that as an excuse to not get started. Just do it. So what do you want to take? Um, like, think about long-term goal for James Warren Group. What's the long-term goal? You know, a couple of years from now, three years from now, long-term goal for your business. At least 200 plus employees. Uh, and I'd like to see at least about like 25 to 30,000 active clients. There you go. And they're out there, right? Mm-hmm. They're out well, there. They're, they're out there everywhere because- the thing is, not to go super deep into this rabbit hole, but just to give you guys a little bit, what you think about, it's not just about what you say, but what you think about and the things that you do creates momentum, either in a good way or a bad way, right? So somebody just heard twenty five to 30,000 clients and they're like, holy you know, and they're like, man, that would never happen to me. I'm not that person. Well, now that you speak that out into existence, you're absolutely right. You're never you're believing your own lies, yeah. right? So, but then there's somebody else who just heard that same amount. And they're like, wait a minute. They grab their calculator out real quick, 25, 30. Wow. You know, if I do this, this is just, okay, this many clients are bringing this much money. But even if I did half that, let me try to get half that. And they're, and they're motivated and, and they're excited to do it. So like the big thing for me is to do two things. One, I want to grow my business there, not just because of like the income aspect. Like I said, that's cool too, but I am the lowest paid employee in my entire organization. So it's not about me getting more of the money. It's about what I could do with it. So I could do two things. I could help the people that enroll and I create a bigger ripple effect, right? Because here's something people don't think about. That person who went from the 450 to the 750 and bought the new home and got the car and they're saving money on things, they're living a better quality of life, which means they show up to the people in their sphere and the people they love as a better person. And then you actually have influence in the people around you. So if you start showing up happier and life is going better, then the people around you are forced to do the same thing where you get a new circle of people. So the ripple effect of these things are huge. So the second part of this is I want to get to that level so I can feel more qualified because believe it or not, even at my scale, I feel like I'm not. I will feel more qualified to then help other people in our industry because that's the second thing I want to correct. I want to correct how people think about credit repair externally. And then the people that are in charge of helping those people, if I can help match that, well, now the industry starts to be better for everybody and we can get to that ultimate goal of people saying, oh, you fix credit, that's dope, man, because this and this and this and this.
That's awesome. We, we, we share goals. Like that's, that's all I want for our industry is the same way. It's the same thing. I want the bad taste to go away. I want people to really know and understand what credit repair is all about. And, you know, if you're listening and you're thinking about starting your credit repair business, just know that this isn't like a side hustle thing that you're just going to, you know, do it for a couple extra bucks. Once you do that and you realize the true impact that you have on people's lives, you're not going to want this to be a little side hustle to make a couple extra bucks. You're going to want to make a living out of this. Man, I sleep good at night knowing what I'm doing, right? You're like, you're not forcing cell phones down people's throats anymore, right? Like you sleep good at night knowing what you're doing. And on top of it, think of it like this. If you're thinking of starting the business, I want you to hear this as loud and clear as possible. It is okay initially. I'm saying initially because we all start a business for us. Right, You don't have to be this noble person that, oh, from day one, all I wanted to do is help people. Because the reality is this, you wanted to help yourself first, and that's okay. Because again, just like the ripple effect that I explained, you can only help people get to the best version of themselves if you're the best version of you. So if you're helping people and you're accumulating a little bit of money, that's good. What I'm going to ask you to do is to maintain the discipline to not go blow that money to go rent the Lambo, to go buy the things, to go flex and show that you're making money. I need you to understand that if you take that money and you invest it back into the business time after time after time, and you give yourself just enough to get by and the rest of the money goes into the business and you continuously do that, you will grow something so big that you can help at a massive scale. So it's okay if it's about you in the beginning. But once you start creating money, it needs to be about the other people. And if you can't learn how to do that shift, that's why you should just go back to either being an employee or go do something else. Because yes, it's about the impact of people's lives, but you can't impact people's lives until you give it about them first. Everybody, it's, it's clear. Everybody, you have to make a living. You have to put food on your table. We get that. But when you lead with that, you're never really going to have a business. Like you'll have a business technically, right? But it's only going to take you so far when you care about the people, about the outcome of the service and and the quality of your service, then that takes you a lot further than how much money can you store up in your bank account? You know, that, and that's true for everybody. That's true for me. That's true for you. Like all of us have reached, you know, what I like to consider success, you know, like we make multiple seven figures every single year in this industry. And it's not because we try to keep all the money for ourselves. Believe it or not, as as backwards as that may sound, the more money that I invest in my business, the more money lands in my bank account. Woo, surprise, right? The more the more I, I give, the more I tithe, the more I do all these things with the money that comes into me, the more of it I give away, the more of it just comes back. And when you try to hoard, you're only going to keep what you can hoard. And that's it. You know, and it's it's one of those principles that you only really know it once you experience it. Once you experience it, then you're like, Man, now it makes sense. When you hear, you know, people like you and me talking about this thing, you're like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Whatever. I, those guys are full of crap. We're not. Like, we live it every single day. You know, like, we know what we're talking about. We're just trying to give the advice that we wish we knew when we got started. Yeah, when I got started in my business, I didn't reinvest into my business. I tried to keep that money, right? I went out, I bought the motorcycles and I did the things and whatever, right? I wouldn't do that now if I was starting again. If I was starting again, I'll take money to do the groceries, money to pay my rent, and everything else goes back into the business. And then rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat until you get to a point where you don't have to worry about it anymore. And that's where, you know, bliss in business happens. 
Man, thank you for this time. Do you have anything you want to ask me? You want to put me on the spot about anything? So I would say this. Um, I'll say it for you in case you don't want to say it. Um, but I could only imagine that this is probably the truth, but I like your perspective on it anyway. I feel like the only thing worse than credit repair clients is CROs as clients. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I told you I was going <laughs> to... Yeah. yeah. But like, so... The reason I ask this is because let's say somebody's listening and maybe this is their first episode and then they're going to go back and they're going to listen to the other episodes of what you did and they're going to like, wait a minute. So this guy is clearly, if he's helping other people make seven figures, he can help me get there because he's going to take away 99% of the hard work of what I got to do. I just got to close deals, put them in there, let them know that they exist. They're going to handle the rest and make me look great. And if that's something that they want to do to scale their business, then they're going to reach out to you. So what would be, whether it's one thing, three things, or maybe five things, um, we'll limit it there because I'm sure there's a lot. What tips could you give somebody that they're like, I'm going to do this business and I want to use you, but how to not be that client? That makes sense? You hit the nail on the head, man. So when I sold my first credit repair business back in 2017, I was like, all right, I want, I've, I've achieved success in the credit repair space. I want to help other credit repair business owners find the same kind of success that I found. So I decided to start working with credit repair business owners instead of consumers who need help with credit repair. And I was like, finally, I don't have to deal with the consumers anymore. You know, the, the unrealistic expectations that they have and all that and the pissed off clients. Oh, you didn't get this deleted and my scores, whatever. I don't have to deal with that anymore. I'm going to deal with the business owner. So I was excited because I love teaching. I love coaching. Like that's, I feel like I'm called for that. Like I, I enjoy the crap out of that. Um, so I was really excited, but it only took a few weeks before I realized that the only thing worse than a credit repair client, like consumer as a client is an uneducated credit repair business owner. They are worse than a credit repair client. I don't want to work with uneducated credit repair business owners. Now, uneducated credit repair business owners, a lot of times, I'm going to say it's not their fault. It is their fault because like you're responsible for what you know or you don't know, but you're searching for knowledge and you're learning from the wrong people in the wrong places. And that's why credit repair business owners are worse clients than consumer credit repair clients because they think they know and then they have this entitlement. I'm a business owner. So they have an entitlement that consumers don't necessarily have with the lack of knowledge or the wrong knowledge. And now my job is to serve you because you pay me. So I work for you, but I can't serve you the way you want to be served because then it's wrong. It's, it's not, that's not how it works, right? Like things, it's not going to get deleted in 30, 45 days. You know, the score is not going to go up. It's like, can you get the bankruptcy off? You saying you could. And, and then you have all these, the one thing is that lack of knowledge or correct knowledge. They're learning from people that they have no business learning from, and they're learning from places that have no business learning from. I'm not saying that I'm the best. What I'm saying is success leaves clues, right? So you, you may be listening to this podcast and you'll see that not only are you learning from me, you're learning from all these other people who at some capacity work with me or are friends of mine in the industry or are people that I trust. So I'm trying to, the whole idea, I was talking to Dylan before we, we, we hit record on the podcast, telling him why does a credit repair junkies podcast exist? It's because I'm tired of people coming into the industry and not knowing what the industry is really about. 
I, I want to change that. I want you to come in and, and have a successful credit repair business, but under the right knowledge with the right expectations. So 100%, like it drives me crazy. And I have no problem not trying to correct you because I'm better than you, but because I want to help you. I want to teach you because you're not going to last very far, very long in this industry doing things the wrong way or doing things they believe to be right, but really aren't. So the goal is I would try to come to you and say, hey, unfortunately, that's actually not how it works. The way it actually works is X, Y, Z. Take it if you want, leave it if you want, but I can't force you to do that. And because credibility of these other places, you believe them to be true and other people to be wrong, right? They're right, you're wrong. But at the end of the day, you'll learn one way or another. So to answer your question, yeah, I think you're dead on. Like you said it for me and I'll say it for myself. The one thing worse than a credit repair consumer as a client is a credit repair business owner as a client only because of that false, unrealistic expectation and lack of, of right knowledge. Um, and we're battling that. Like that's why we're doing this, right? Because I want people in the industry to know what they need to know. So now a part two of that is how does the CRO, you know, whether aspiring to be or someone who's been in the game for a while, what are some signs, like how will they be able to tell that they're getting got essentially? Like how do they know or what should they look out for when they're trying to source for information so they can be that CRO that would change the game, that would make people proud of the industry? What are some telltale signs or red flags that they should look out for when they're seeking information from people to be able to validate if that's a good quality source. That's a great question. And I can use a, a personal example of something happening in my life. Trust, but verify. I'm not saying don't trust anyone. You, you eventually have to trust somebody, right? So say you're trusting the wrong people. Well, you don't know that they're wrong yet. So that's why you trust, but verify. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to take everything I've learned with a grain of salt. But then I got to go verify. Well, how do you verify? Well, you get other people to collaborate what you just learned to be true. People who are further ahead than you, right? Everything that you learn on this podcast, everything you learn from Bruce Politano, trust, but verify. Please verify. And if you verify and you find me to be wrong, please let me know because I don't want to be wrong. Like, I don't mind being called out. Like, we have these things called blind spots, right? I don't know my blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. So show me my blind spots so I can become better, right? So the example I was going to give you is like, I've been dealing with all this back pain and stuff. You remember we were in California like the other couple months ago, like I couldn't even walk because it's terrible. So I get an MRI done and I go see a neurologist, right? And the neurologist is like a nerve doctor. And the whole point is, you know, I have this massive herniated disc in my L5S1 that's shooting down my entire sciatic nerve on my right leg. And that causes me to not be able to walk and like all this pain. And the dude tells me, and this guy, I mean, decades of medical experience, right? Oh, you have a sequestered disc, which pretty much means that a piece of my disc broke off, like it herniated, it broke off and is now living inside the nerve root, the nerve canal, and it's just fully compressed my, my, my sciatic nerve. That's why no matter how much aspirin I was taking in LA, no matter, right? You remember, no matter, I like, Dylan, push your chair up. No matter how much, how much steroids I was taking, the pain wasn't relieving because a piece of my disc broke off and it's living in the spiral canal that's only this thick and the only thing that fits in there is a nerve, but I have a nerve and a piece of this. So that's why. And I was like, holy crap, that sounds pretty, pretty dangerous. How do you fix that? Oh, it either dissolves on its own or you got to have it surgically removed 
or you just live with it. You just, you know, take spinal injections and you do pain management. I was like, oh, sounds freaking great. Thank you very much. Right. So at least I, believe it or not, I was relieved because now I know why the pain was there. Right. Because up until that point, it's like it just hurts like crazy, but I don't know why. So hearing that was a breath of fresh air. Yeah, as bad as it was now, at least at least now I know. At least now I know. But then I took that MRI result and I went to another doctor and the other doctor said, your disc is not sequestered. And he put the, the, the CD with the images in his computer and he showed me the picture. Look, the disc is fully still there. It's, it's massively herniated and it's compressing the nerve, but it didn't break off and is living inside the spinal canal like that doctor told you it was. Oh, doesn't that change things now? That changes a lot. The pain is still there. It still explains it. But from having a sequestered disc to just a massively herniated, those are two completely different things. So you trust, but you verify. But now I have one person telling me one thing and I have another person telling me another thing. What do you think my next step is going to be? Five more doctors and then see what everybody else has to say, right? Because I can't, well, it might take one word because for I know, the first doctor could be right. For I know, the other doctor could be right. You trust, but you verify. In this industry, like where you don't know if what you're learning is right or wrong, you trust that. But then you go verify and get other people to collaborate that story. Oh, I heard this. Is this true? Oh, no. It's actually, look at the image right here. The, it, the, the, the picture shows that this is still fully intact. Like, where's the proof of what you're saying to be true, right? So that's the, the red flags is, number one, like if, if people are telling you things and they're not giving you the proof of what they're telling you to be true, that's a red flag. The other thing is humility. Right. People who know their stuff, normally they're humble about it. They're not like waving it in everybody's face and, you know, because for, like there's no need for that. Right. The truth is enough at that point. When you try to to upgrade the story or you try to chances are you're lying about something, you know, so the truth is enough. Those people who are telling you the truth. They're probably not just rubbing it all over your face. If you're getting stuff rubbed all over your face, likely ain't true. And see, that's that's really good for people to know, because, again, it, at any level that they're at. We used to live in a time where information was limited. Now we're overloaded with information. So now we have to learn that verification process of, I need to verify that what you're telling me is true. Sounds like because, huh? <laughs> Sounds like credit repair. Yeah. You got to verify. <laughs> right. So like, but those are the steps that you should take because if you just take what you hear at face value and you run with it before verifying it, well, now think of all the incorrect information you could be telling everybody and think of that ripple effect. So here's another example. When I was doing online disputes in the very beginning, before I knew the difference and why that was stupid, I ran with what I knew and what I, what I was told. But I didn't have enough resources to go validate from other people if this was it. However, I would see that they would constantly post on their Facebook proof of outcome. Yeah. So, or proof of concept in a sense. So I'm like, cool. If all these people are getting results, it must work. Yeah. But I never thought about, well, what about all the people who aren't? So then when I was telling people, this is how I'm doing it and this is what you could do, it helps some, but I never thought about the ones that it didn't help. Yeah. And, and, and again, if you can take every decision you're going to make and make it about the person, then you'll have a very successful business. If you're taking information and running with it without validating it from multiple sources, well, then it's really hard 
to know if you're doing the right thing or not. And you don't want to burn the people that trusted you initially, which is why complete side note, but made me think of it. I don't know if it's a CRC thing or I, I think some people say, it. oh, when I'm starting my business, I can't get anybody to pay me. So they're like, oh, well, go get, um, you know, four or five people and do their stuff for free. And, and initially that sounds pretty good, you know, but crazy. then throughout the years, I started to realize that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because here's what happens. If you can't find five people that trust you enough that will pay you for a service to help them like that, that means you need to work on yourself because you're not a trustworthy person and you got yeah. deeper problems than this business. Yeah. Hey, preach. It, it's not, let me go give these services that I put a, a, a monetary figure on and let me go give them for free because I'm desperate to prove people I know what I'm doing. You've never done it before because you don't have clients yet. So you actually don't know what you're doing and they are right to not trust you right away because you don't know. But you have to find the people who don't know you because we all find this out later in life. It's not the people close to you that support you. Those people come around when all of the people who didn't know you supported you, then it became cool to support you. So when you're looking to find your first set of clients, it is not the people that you know. I promise it's not. The the people yeah. from my Facebook, they weren't people I knew. Yeah. And and I charged every single one of them. And it's the golden rule, right? Treat others like you want to be treated. If you operate your business as that mission, like if your mission statement in your business is remember the golden rule, treat others like you want to be treated, your business will grow simply because people do business with people, not businesses, right? I buy from you because I like you as a person. I know, like, and trust you. So before you sell anything to anyone, you sell yourself. Until you sold yourself, you haven't earned the right to sell them anything else. And even if you try, chances are they're not going to buy from you. If they buy, they're going to be a bad buyer. They're going to be that client that keeps their receipt and then comes back to the store and asks for, for their money back. Yeah. You know, because you didn't sell yourself first. They ate half the meal and they were like, nah, it's under I didn't like you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like, um, and, and then that last one I got for you is somebody's new in the business. Maybe they got a handful of clients. What do you think? Because I only share my experience because I only have my experience, but you have the experience of helping hundreds, if not more of CROs. So what have you noticed to be, and by the way, guys, when you hear this number, don't think it has to be your number because it's different for everybody, but what have you seen to be the average time frame, or even in your business when you had a credit repair business, when do you think is the right time for someone to start outsourcing where it makes sense for them? My personal opinion on this, and I'm not saying this because I own an outsourcing company and I offer outsourcing services, but- the faster you can get out of your own way, the faster and further you will go. I'm not saying this because you own a credit repair company and I want you to come outsource with me. Sure, come. I'll gladly take you on as a client, right? But it doesn't have to be me. Go find another outsourcing company. Go hire somebody in-house to you had, for you to hand off the hats to because your business isn't growing because you're in your way. So how long in business should I be before I start outsourcing or hiring? They want your job is a job that no one else can have and no one else can own. And it's to market and sell. It's to grow your business. It's to build your brand. 
yeah, you can get marketing companies and 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 digital uh, marketers and, co- and Facebook ads companies out. But remember, people do business with people, so somebody's got to have to be the face of that company, and the only person who can do that is you. You can find tons of other people to lick stamps for you, to fold paper for you, to talk to your customers for you, but you're not going to find people as motivated as you to go out and market your your business and grow your brand and sell your services. You ain't going to do it. So the faster you can get out of your own way, the faster your business will grow. So when do you outsource? When do you hire? As quickly as humanly possible. That's the mistake that I made. Like it took me until I had my first 100 plus clients to get out of my own way. And I would have had hundreds more if I had gotten out of my way so much sooner. Because you're limited to what you can do only. And that's what you said. Like one of your levers, the first lever that you pulled was what? You duplicated yourself and you delegated. There's a reason why we do that. Your business cannot grow, will not grow unless you do that because you can only grow until you hit the ceiling and you're never going to break the ceiling because it's not a glass ceiling. It's a concrete ceiling until you get out of your own way. That was a great question. Thank you so much. I mean, we're an hour and 23 minutes and people are still working. I can sit here and I can talk to you about this stuff all day. Same. Like I literally could. Like I, I got nothing to do but time to <laughs> talk about this stuff. But it's getting a little bit long and we'll get you back on another episode where we can just maybe come up with like some valuable Q&As for brand new people and people who already been in business a while that we may be be able to answer them. We'll do a whole episode on just like, you know, FAQs of being a credit CRO, right? Of owning a credit purpose. Every one of them. I'll love that. And maybe we get like three, four guys on there and have that. It'll be an awesome conversation. So I'll be be looking out to, to plan that here in the near future. So if you're listening... Look out for that episode because it's going to come. Brother, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Any final words? Nah, man. Thank you for having me. This was super cool. I'm excited for the next one. This is cool to see somebody's actually taking the time out to do something about helping the industry. I've always loved what I do, but I hated my industry. And I feel like if more of this happens, that shift will start to happen where I can say I love my industry. So we'll do it together. Appreciate you, brother. Take care.